in a couple more weeks, you could be at the beach you know, on a Sunday morning. And so, so I get it. A lot of people are moving in that direction. Um, Kelly Bean, the author of the book, How to Be a Christian Without Going to Church, um, explained it like this. And I thought this was a great testimony to, to where we are at a, in this cultural moment. She says this. She says, here I am on a bright Sunday morning, curled up on my cushy orange chair, Sipping tea and loving Jesus. It's been quite some time since Sunday morning meant getting the whole family spruced up for a church service. I'm one of them, the non-goers. The great news is that it's possible to be a Christian and not go to church, but by being the church, remain true to the call of Christ. Is anyone up for a pickle-making party or a living room songwriting session? Jesus will be there. If you want to start a church, just have a party in your house and see who shows up. And so there are now, apparently, right, even books being written on how to be a Christian without doing church, right? It's never been easier to drop out of church. There have never been more alternatives. And now you even have instructions from Kelly on how to be a Christian without going to church, which, which uh, is rather inconceivable once you start digging into the scriptures and the beautiful opportunity we have to actually do life together. So why... Would you not only make church a priority in your life, but even take the next step of becoming a mend bearer? I'm hoping this morning to give you some reasons for those of you maybe that already are members to kind of remind you of what membership looks like. For those of you that are new members, this is my opportunity to give you a sermon. I told you I wouldn't preach to you in the membership class. Now I get an opportunity to preach to you on Sunday morning about it. And for those of you maybe that are on the fence about being a member or why should I really get committed to a local church, hopefully these things will be helpful to you because I am absolutely convinced the biblical vision for membership is really, it's compelling. Right? The two dominant metaphors for membership in the New Testament are being members of a family and being members of a body. And you can't experience either of these realities without a strong commitment to the local church. I've looked at what it means to be members of the body in Romans 12, 1 through 8 in previous years. And so I decided kind of last minute to shift over to Romans 12, 9 through 21 to talk about what it looks like to be members of a family. Because what we miss, right, when we opt out of the commitment to a local church is the formative nature of being part of a church extended Family, And that, I hope you'll see this morning, is a really beautiful thing to be a part of when everything is going as it should. And I realize, obviously, there are all kinds of situations maybe that you're coming out of that maybe didn't quite live up to that expectation. But we're going to look this morning at the biblical vision for being members of the family. Um, We're going to look at some of the obstacles, right, to being members of a family, how this can go wrong and go south. And then finally, the foundation for being members of a family. And my, my aim for this morning's sermon is to show why we should all want to experience the beauty of being members of a local church family, why, why we should all want to experience the members of being uh, a church family. So I'm doing my job well. At the end of this sermon, you're like, man, I really would love to be part of a church family. So, so let's pray maybe that God would do that this morning, give us a fresh vision passion for what it looks like and what the church can be and what it looks like to be part of a local church family. And so, Father, we come this morning recognizing that there are uh, a million other things we could be doing this morning, but here we are, God, gathered as a church, God, because we want to experience you, your presence. We want to be together with your people. We want to hear from your word. We want to be reminded of the things that are most important in life, Father. So would you give us just a great thankfulness for the people around us that are in our lives that want to walk with us through what it looks like to follow you right here in this time 
and place. Uh, would you give us a fresh passion for uh, the opportunities that we have to sing, to learn from your word, and uh, to just be uh, together? Would you uh, remind us of the formative nature of being a family and the, the important work that's happening here in our lives and the lives of our kids as we gather together Sunday after Sunday to be reminded of who we are and who you've called us to be? And so this morning, would you come? Would you Open up your word in ways that would be impactful to us, that would give us a fresh love for the church and what it means to be part of it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to jump in here first with the vision for what it means to be members of a family. Um, family is a fundamental category for what it looks like to be a Christian. Just think of the language we use, right? God is our Father, right? Matthew 6, Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, Reminded that God is our Father, right? Jesus is our husband. The church is the bride of Christ, like Ephesians chapter 5. We're all spiritual brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, part of this broader, extended family. Uh, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So when we're thinking about membership in a local church, don't think membership in a country club or membership at Costco or membership at the zoo where you enter into a consumer relationship for certain goods and services, right? You pay and you expect the, the organization to meet all of your needs, right? Membership in the church is something far more relational. It's a far more covenantal relationship where we're committing to each other, we're binding ourselves to each other to walk with each other through the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the challenges of life. We're invited into the life of a larger extended family, a larger network of support that can rally around us, that can celebrate with us, that can weep with us, that can grieve with us as we're going to see. And since we aren't born into the local church family, we have to join it to be members, right? We have to show up and be a part of it. That's what always impresses me about our church. I'm like, there are all these people that could be doing so many other things, and here they are, Sunday morning, showing up. So I realize I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You guys are, you guys are here because you want to be here, um, but that is a beautiful thing, not something to be taken for granted. And Romans 12, 9 through 21 gives us a wonderful snapshot of life in this beautiful broken, and sometimes dysfunctional family. And so I wanted to look just briefly at Romans 12. As I was looking over it this week, I'm like, man, this is actually a beautiful portrait of life together, the life that we're called to. So, so maybe something in this text, maybe you could grab a hold of maybe one of the principles in this text and go, yeah, that's beautiful. I want to live more into that uh, this week. So let's look through it here. I'm going to just be working my way through Romans 12, starting... Um, here in verse 10, and we're going to see some of the language that Paul is casting of this family that God has called together. This is written, remember, to a local church, the Christians in Rome, who are all living out this experience of the gospel together in house churches in Rome, and so they're trying to figure out how to do life together. And these are the, some of the things that Paul tells them. I want to highlight a few of them. In verse 10, Paul calls us to love each other with brotherly affection. Isn't that beautiful? Love each other with brotherly affection. This is family language through and through, right? This is something, if you look at the Greek language here, the word for love here in this text, there are different words for love. This is the word for loving family. Like this is the love for a mother for a child, love of, you know, children for their parents. It's that kind of love. And then brotherly love is a special kind of love, right? If you are from 
great city like I have Philadelphia, right? It's the city of brotherly love. So there's two words both talking about family love that introduce this text. And I don't know what your experience, right? I grew up with, with three brothers, two brothers, and like in a very rough and tumble family, man, where we beat up on each other. We played sports together. I mean, we got into it. We, we razz each other. Like, we give each other a hard time. But, like, we love each other, and we get together every year and vacations in the summer and just celebrate time together. But you, you can't build that kind of brotherly affection, that brotherly camaraderie, right? Just showing up to church on a Sunday morning and, you know, shaking someone's hands. You, you get that kind of relationship in the years of being together and walking through difficult things and challenges and getting into fights and reconciling and dealing with all of the trauma of being in a family and all the pressures and challenges associated with that, right? Brothers and sisters know your strengths and their weaknesses, but they still love you. Maybe because they're stuck with you at the time, but eventually, right? And at least in my family, we've grown up to love each other and care for each other and be able to encourage each other. That's what Paul's calling for in this passage of scripture. And this is something you can't do if you're just a attender of some live stream on Sunday morning, or if you just kind of occasionally show up to church on a Sunday, you're going to miss out on that brotherly love and affection that comes from having people in your life that know you, love you, care about you, and are walking with you through the highs and lows of life. So it's the first thing in verse 10, Paul calls these believers to brotherly affection or sisterly affection too, I think would work as well too, if you're thinking along those lines. The second thing we notice here, and I love, this is one of my favorite verses. I wish I could do a whole sermon on it. Um, just on this one here, in verse, second half of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. And it's one of the few places in the New Testament where we're called to compete with each other. <laughs> we're to get into a competition to figure out how to honor other people, to see the beautiful things God is doing in their lives. We're supposed to be on the lookout at church for Christ in the people in our lives. And when we see Christ in you, the hope of glory, we're supposed to call attention to that. We're supposed to shoot some you know, fireworks into the air, have a party, a huge celebration as we see what God is doing in the lives of the people around us. It's so counterintuitive to the way we often think, uh, but Paul wants us to be looking around. In the ancient world, everyone was honoring the people in authority, right? The benefactors, the, the uh, patriarchs of the clan, those that had all the power and authority. Paul flips it on its head and says, outdo one another. Be looking, not just up to those that can advantage you or benefit you, but look around to everyone in the church family. Be calling out the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you see around you. And that can be such a powerful thing. Uh, our school, uh, uh, the Potter's House, does a thing called the Circle of Honor uh, in their classes, and where each person, and I don't know what the rhythm is on this, but they'll take one person in the class, and that day, put them in the circle of honor. Everyone in the class will go around and speak words of honor and affirmation over that person and their life. I just love that, building a culture of honor. I know at our uh, family, we love to do birthday toasts, and we love to gather around on a birthday and spend you know, time, each person just speaking some encouraging word over the person. We've done that in our community as well. Uh, when somebody in our community is having a birthday, we're like, we just want to celebrate this person, honor them, and build them up. It's a beautiful, beautiful practice. So brotherly love and affection, a culture of outdo each other, showing honor. And again, you, you don't get that. You don't see Christ in other people if you're just kind of rolling into church you know, on a Sunday morning and rolling out, right? You've got to be in people's lives to see 
the beautiful things God is doing in their lives to be able to call them out. It takes a deeper commitment and investment and involvement in the life of the local church to both see other people to honor them and then to be around for other people to honor you and the things that they're seeing in your life. Verse 11 and 12 um, call the church to uh, passionate, I love this here, to passionate service. Notice this, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be faithful. Uh, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. And so you have this beautiful call here uh, for the church, not just to show up on a Sunday morning, not just to be a kind of attender, uh, but the call Paul has is to be passionate, zealous about service. I don't know about you, but some of the best relationships I've built are not just when I show up to something, but when I'm involved with something, when I'm engaged with something, when I'm rolling up my sleeves and serving in the trenches with other people. I don't know if you've been on a missions trip or something where you go and you're building a house or you're doing some big project together for a week and just the bonding that happens as you're in each other's lives, you're serving together, you're going through adversity together, you're working through hard things together, you're serving on a, you know, serving in somewhere in the city, doing some big ministry. Here at uh, Redemption City Church, we've got opportunities like Laundry Love to be together working, serving those here in our community that need service. If you've been down to the kids' ministry, right, there's, there's a bond that happens as you're serving with all those 50 kids down there or whatever, which we hear every now and then, and the, the work that's going on together. Back when we started the church, it was set up. I remember people would have to come out an hour or two early and be doing all this incredible work, but there was something bonding that happened as you serve together in the life of the church. And so that's one of the beautiful things about being at a smaller church. <laughs> you get to serve. You get to be involved. You can be a part of that. Your gifts matter. And also, one of the challenges of being a local church, right? We might actually ask you to help out. <laughs> we would love to see your gifts happening there. In verse 13, we're called to generosity and hospitality. Uh, notice, as so we're going along through here in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, right? An opportunity here to be generous with the resources that God has given us, but also to be generous with our space, with our homes, to welcome people into the life of the church, right? It's one thing to just show up on a Sunday morning to something and a very, very different thing, right? To open your home, your life to other people. I don't know hardly anything more vulnerable than to welcome people into your house and then they're digging through your refrigerator and they're in your bathroom and they're seeing all the toys that are laying around the house and just the messiness and chaos of life. And you're just welcoming people into that. That has just been an incredible source of blessing to me to be welcomed into so many people's lives and homes and experience. And that's what Paul's calling people to as members of a church family, right? For members, we're going to have to invite people into our lives, into our homes. And that's something you can't do, right? If you're not really a part of a church family, right? You're going to miss out on that element. Verse 14, we're called to be a community of blessing, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, bless is one of those kind of very Christian-y words that we use a lot. Like, bless, like, it's great. I'm going to make you happier. <laughs> I'm going to bless you. You know, what do we do with that? It's a very christian kind of word. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, defines blessing. He says, blessing is the visible, perceptible, effective proximity of God. I love it. Blessing is the visible, perceptive, effective proximity of God. When we're trying to bless those that persecute us, we're, we're trying to help them see the presence of God, the power of God. Like when they are around us, they experience 
the way Jesus would react, right? To bless and not curse, to love our enemies rather than reviling them, uh, to help people experience the goodness of God when they bump up against us, especially in very challenging ways like persecution that they experience uh, God through us. In verse 15, we're called to be emotionally present. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Right? This is something that, like on a Sunday morning, you know, there might be an opportunity for you to do a little rejoicing with those who rejoice and give somebody a high five. And you, know, you might, if you're really vulnerable, break down into tears on a Sunday morning. I don't see that as often, right? But if you're in um, my kitchen, like I was this week, and you're going through really heavy things with people in our community, right? tears might be shed and were, in fact, this week in our community because there's heavy things people are walking through and journeying through. And there's got to be space for that, right? To, to walk alongside of that with other people. In a couple of weeks, we've got another person in our community who's graduating after many years in grad school, and we're going to throw a big party. We're going to celebrate because that's what family does. When somebody reaches a milestone, right, we're going to celebrate together with them, right? This call to be emotionally present is something you can't do over screens, right? This is something you can't do on social media. This is something you can't do via the live stream. Like, it requires that beautiful face-to-face, you know, face-to-face, knee-to-knee, <laughs> you know, sort of relationship where you're with here, where you're laying hands on other people for them in prayer. We, we need to be a church in the culture we live in that is emotionally present for the people we're walking alongside. And finally, in verse 16 through 18, we're called to harmony across all social, economic, ethnic, and racial barriers, right? And to live peaceably with all. Notice how Paul says this in 16 through 18, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, right? And that's going to require, like, we can say, yeah, we're in harmony. I'm not fighting with anybody right now because I'm at home on my couch. And so (laughs) that would be very, that's a very different thing than what Paul is calling for. Like, harmony is actually live this lived out experience of like, we're all on the same page. We're all in the same family. We're working this thing out. It doesn't mean we all agree with each other. There are going to be arguments. There are going to be fights. There are going to be differences of opinion. Uh, but we're all trying to walk this journey out together. We're, and we're actually benefiting from the different perspectives and values and opinions and personalities that are in the room, right? The call to harmony It's not a call to uniformity or some kind of bland uniformity, but a call to take all the different gifts and personalities and perspectives of the values and and bring them together under the banner that is Christ, right, under his gospel. And so that call to harmony, that call to peace, isn't just a call to not get in fights with people online, (laughs) to get on a Twitter battle or something, but to actually live together in such a way that we're all living under the kingship and lordship of Christ. So the call to membership in a local church is a call to resist the strong individualistic currents in our culture, right? Just by nature, you're just going to live your life in your own little lane because that's how our life is designed in our culture right now. You can totally live your life on your phone, on screens. You'd never have to talk to a real human being face-to-face, maybe unless you're at your job. But even then, you might be able to do it all digitally. And so membership is pushing back on that individualistic current in our culture. The call to membership in a local church is to call to commit ourselves to the imperfect people around us. Look around right now, right? There, there are a bunch of imperfect people in this room, starting with the guy on stage, right? And we, we get to bind ourselves together, love each other, walk with each other, and 
that is a beautiful, painful at times, a very sweet thing for us uh, to do. To, to paraphrase Zach Harris on parenting, there is no secret here. The call to membership in a local church is the call to keep showing up and loving the people God has brought into your life, right? We, we just get to show up to each other, keep loving each other, keep walking alongside them. That's this call to be a part of a family together. So we have this, view, this vision here in Romans 12 and just a few quick words here, a few quick sentences, and it's a vision that's all over the New Testament. If you look at the one and others of the New Testament, there are all these beautiful calls to Christian community, and there's something that, that expand far beyond just what a Sunday morning gathering might look like. Uh, and they tell us what the church should be and what the church could be. It's a beautiful vision. Now, the bad news is sin has created lots of obstacles to be members of an extended family, and many of them are right here in Romans 12. So I'll just give you a few obstacles, maybe, that, that prevent us from living into this vision that God has called us to, to fully experiencing and enjoying uh, that need that we all feel, right? To belong, to be known and loved, to have people walk with us, through the heavy things and the joys and the celebrations in our life. So let me give you, I think I have five obstacles here. And again, these are going to be really quick. Maybe one of them will land on you. Maybe, maybe other ones you can just push to the side. Uh, but let me work through these again really quickly as well. Leading the list of obstacles to being members of God's family is hypocrisy in verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. When Paul says let love be genuine, that word is literally let love be without hypocrisy. In the ancient world, hypocrisy, you know, hypocrisy was someone would literally put a mask on and do play acting, right? And so this word hypocrisy, let love without be hypocrisy, uh, let your love be genuine. Let it not be just an act, just a play. You know, you show up on Sunday morning and you all get all spruced up, you're looking good, you guys are can stylish, but you know, the love is just totally superficial, right? There's no real genuine love, no vulnerability, no letting people in behind the mask, right? Hypocrisy is always going to destroy community. In fact, nothing destroys community like hypocrisy, and nothing creates community like vulnerability, right? Letting people in to the real us, our real struggles, our real challenges in our real life. Hypocrisy, right? Pretending you've got it all figured out or that you've got it all together, not only keeps people at arm's length, it keeps you from getting the help you need, right? By simply putting up that mask, you're not only losing out on true and authentic community, you're also losing out on the help, the blessing, the truth, the words of truth that others could speak into your life. So real community involves letting down the mask, letting people see who you really are and then walk with you in the grace and truth that Jesus offers. So, so first thing, uh, love without hypocrisy, right? That's the first obstacle to genuine Christian community. The second one, and this is in verse 10 as well, um, has to do with criticism, right? We saw again, outdo one another in showing honor. The opposite of that would be, yeah, outdo one another in tearing each other down, criticizing each other, you know, destroying each other, right? That is going to be the enemy of community. I don't know about you, but criticism comes naturally to me. I don't have to like work hard to just see flaws around me. I, I just naturally see them. And, you know, some people closest to me actually hear me say them. You know, most of you don't, <laughs> most of you, the filter is working and I don't give those criticism comments, but, but the people around me know, right, that I'm just like wired that way. And so for me, building a culture of honor and love in my family, like it's been something where God's been working on my life and heart 
to be, rather than looking for flaws in people and human beings and systems and kind of a natural problem-solving brain, is actually looking for the good things God is doing, being on a hunt for the evidences of God's grace I can see in people's lives, the way God is working and moving. But boy, how easy it is, right, to just default to criticism, how easy it is to see the weaknesses and the flaws and the, the foibles and be annoyed by different personality quirks and things that just annoy us, people's opinions that they have on politics or whatever the stuff. And you're just like, ah, criticism is so easy, but it pushes people away rather than drawing them in, right? As we're, as we're seeing evidence of God's grace, calling attention to them, honoring people, that pulls people in to community. As we're criticizing, right, we're, we're pushing them away. We're judging, condemning, and ultimately kind of sending them off. And so, so being critical, very huge obstacle to building community at Redemption I'm not saying we can't be discerning, that we can't call people to repentance and have hard conversations, but, but criticism is a very different thing. Condemnation is a very different thing. That's, that's the devil's language right there, criticizing and condemning people. You know, we get to call people to uh, repentance and faith and to the things that God has called us to, but criticism, very dangerous thing. Uh, third here, being slothful. I love this word, slothful. We're going to do a whole series on the seven deadly sins. So we're going to get to talk about sloth a little bit more. So I won't say much here. But I love this. Do not be slothful in zeal, right? Sloth is ultimately about a lack of love, right? We just don't care enough about the people around us to pursue them, uh, to engage and do the hard work of connecting, to do the hard work of being in people's lives, walking alongside them, drawing them out, hearing their hearts and what they love and what they hate and, and uh, doing that hard work, right? We don't care enough about the relationships. And this is probably the greatest temptation in the culture we live in, right? We have all of these means of escape, you can go to a screen and watch any number of things, right? You can avoid all of the costly, dangerous, difficult work of love by just checking out on your phone and scrolling endlessly on your favorite uh, app of choice, right? And you can miss out, right, on all this beautiful work of opportunities to love your spouse, love your kids, love the friends in your life. Sloth is just, I mean, our culture has, like, perfected the art of sloth, monetized it, turned it into this incredible uh, industry, right, of, of being able to just continue. I mean, Netflix, they just keep playing those episodes. You could just be on there all night, you know, and they'll just keep auto-cycling. You can do the infinity scroll. It, it will never end. <laughs> Your feed will continue forever and ever, and you will totally miss out on opportunities to love all the people that God has placed in your life. So watch out, man. Sloth gets us all. You may not think of yourself as one of those cute little sloths hanging around in a tree there somewhere, but boy, it's very much in the air we breathe in our culture. All right, fourth one, being arrogant or smug or superior. Verse 16, uh, live in harmony with another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, right? We, we love to be around people that can help us, don't we? <laughs> we love to be around the people that are upwardly mobile, that can, that can help us out, maybe get us the next connection at work, or, you know, it could be somebody that we feel like, man, they're going to be really fun to hang out with. They're going to be people that are going to really take us places we want to go, right? It's very easy for us to look down at people below us and go, yeah, they don't have anything to offer. Like, I'm just totally giving them the stiff arm, right? In community, so easy to be like, man, I'm like the cream of the crop, and I want to be hanging out with... The cream rises to the surface, and I'm going to be hanging out with the other cream. And, the, and as a church, we can buy into that and think, you know, 
we should be hanging out with, and, and we're going to not associate with the lowly. Well, that is the opposite, right, of what Jesus did. Jesus' whole mission was to come down, right, and seek and save the lost and the lowly, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. This is the people that he was spending his life with, and we have that same opportunity to take all of the wonderful, strange people like myself that ended up in this church, right? <laughs> and we get to love them and associate with them and learn from them and grow from them. I love how Paul Tripp says this in his typically blunt way. He says, corporate worship is designed to remind you that in the center of all things is a glorious and gracious king, and that king is not you. <laughs> that is very helpful for us to think about when we tend to get a little arrogant think maybe this whole church thing is about us and, you know, all these people that have brought together are here to serve us and encourage us and love us and meet all of our needs, right? We're called not to that kind of haughtiness, but to enter into the lives of others. And then finally, the last one, um, maybe the most blunt one of all here, see this in verse 14 and verse 17 and 19. This is, uh, I'll read these verses for you here in verse 14 or verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Again, right, there's a temptation, and it comes naturally to us, to if somebody goes after us, we're going to go after them, right? You're going to go after me and my people? I'm going to avenge, you know, to immediately just kind of evil for evil, uh, curse people that persecute you. There's that knee-jerk reaction in us. And the church should be a place where we learn to love uh, across those differences, across the lines that separate us. It should be a place where we can talk with people from different political parties, where we can talk with people uh, who have different opinions, different agendas on all of the issues. Like We've had all kinds of opportunities through COVID to, to, to really love across the lines. People that were you know, about the vaccinations, not about the vaccinations, gathering and not gathering, right? The church should be a place where we learn to love across the differences that separate us. And we actually learn how to be the kind of people who can love in a polarized culture where people are just blowing each other up right now, right? We should be a place where we learn to love our enemies. And that starts just with the people in this room, because there are people that have lots of different perspectives and personalities and opinions and agendas. And being together with different people actually helps us learn and grow. Uh, D.A. Carson says it this way, and I thought this was so helpful. He said, ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been loved by Jesus himself. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And that is a deeply formative and also deeply challenging sort of thing to walk with people from different backgrounds, uh, different upbringings, and whatnot along the way. So, so we looked at just a few. There are many more obstacles to community, and there are many, obviously, challenges that we bring when we come into life and church community. What are some of the biggest obstacles for you? I know for me, like, I love the warmth of community. There's something about sitting out on a porch with the guys, enjoying a, a, just a beautiful spring day where I'm just like, man, this is so great. This is what we were made for, just to, to be able to sit and have great, deep conversations about all kinds of wonderful things. But for me, I'm like, you know, you could leave the conflict and drama off to one side. That'd be great. Like, if I could just get all of the positive vibes of 
community and relationships and then not have the conflict and drama, like I would, I would sign up for that. But that's not life in the church, right? We have to deal with the conflict as well when it comes to drama, when it comes and walk through that in a godly way. I don't know what it is that's keeping you from community or what's keeping you from committing to a local church, right? But there are wonderful opportunities here to think through and reflect on some of those obstacles, but also look at the vision. Look at what we get out of it. Obviously, there are challenges, there are difficulties. We've been burned in the past, maybe by other communities or churches. Uh, but as we look at the upside, as we look at the biblical vision, what God has called us to, I hope that would be drawing you forward here. <clears throat> so we've looked at the vision for being members of God's family, the obstacles to being uh, God's family. And finally, for those of us who've been burned by community, for those of us who long for community. For those of us who have a love-hate relationship with community, there's good news. Jesus is the foundation for our community. It's his grace that sustains this uh, community here. And so I want to look briefly here at the foundation for being members of God's family. I just want to flip over to Ephesians 2 uh, because Paul just lays it out so beautifully here in Ephesians 2, uh, starting in verse, verse 13. He says these words here, Ephesians 2, uh, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are here, who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, Paul looks at the massive divisions between Jews and Gentiles, and we could look at the massive division between, in our culture between blue states and red states or whatever your, your pick would be. But rather than despairing, he shows how Jesus destroyed the wall of separation has brought people together from every tribe and language and people and nation through the cross, right? Because Jesus did it all we get it all because Jesus took our guilt and our shame, our record of wrong and the condemnation that we deserve on himself. We can enter into this new family by grace. He paid the penalty, then brings us near to himself, reconciles us to each other, brings the peace that this world so desperately needs and the grace we need to maintain this community. During our membership interviews, I've been contrasting a job interview with our membership interviews here at the church Uh, In job interviews, you come, you bring your education, you bring your experience, you bring your skills, you bring your achievements, right? What you've demonstrated, your competency in whatever area you happen to be be in. And uh, here at Redemption City Church, we're doing membership interviews. It's a little bit different, right? We want to hear that you're bringing Jesus' resume, (laughs) Jesus' accomplishments, Jesus' finished work on the cross on your behalf. You don't have to come with anything other than the grace of Jesus. In fact, if you come with too strong of a resume and not enough of Jesus, you can't be a member. Sorry, you just got too much to offer here. We don't allow perfect people in here. It just mess everything up here, right? 
We get to be members of God's family, not because of our achievements, but because of what Christ has achieved for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And because entry into God's family is a gift, anyone can open their hands in faith and receive it. It's not an exclusive social club. I often love to say the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners, right? That's the the kind of operation we're running here. And, And because entry into God's family is a gift, we don't have any ground to look down on others. We're standing on level ground at the foot of the cross. And it's really stunning to me the people that God has brought into my life through the gospel, right? The people that I've been brought into a new relationship, people I would have absolutely nothing in common with except Jesus, right? People from all kinds of different backgrounds, from different parts of the country, different ethnicities, races, and professions. In what other place, right? Do you have doctors and contractors, CPAs and electricians, school teachers and PhDs, and stay-at-home moms all volunteering themselves to be part of this same community, showing up because they want to be together, right? To be exposed to so many different people, their remarkable stories of God's grace has been one of the highlights of what I get to do in my life and job. Certainly, some of these people have driven me a little nuts, Uh, But even those people have helped me appreciate the diversity of the body, helped me grow and mature. That's why I said being a part of a family is really formative, right? Because you're in relationship with other people that aren't like you, and that means you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to mature. You're going to have to learn how to deal with people different than you. So what would it look like if we actually treated each other like members of a broad, extended uh, family? I love to do this exercise membership class. I see my time is running away very swiftly, and I love talking about this stuff. So I'm going to be brief here. Oh, man. Uh, but but, but what, what does a family do together? We eat meals together, right? That's, that's one of the things families do. Uh, we do love doing community dinners around the church, inviting people into our homes and sharing life together, right? We celebrate big milestones together, like birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, births. I hear there's another baby shower going on today, right? And I'm sure there are going to be a bunch of ladies coming out from the church to do it as yet another baby uh, comes onto the scene here at Redemption City Church. We love to celebrate those milestones, right? We, we grieve together, right? When people are sick or laid off or go through a bad breakup or a funeral, um, we're going to walk with people through that. We're going to weep with them. We're going we're gonna to be in that. We do, we do family stuff, right? We, we take each other to the airport. We do home projects together. We borrow tools. We watch each other's kids. We might pick up each other's mail. Uh, whatever the case may be, we start to treat each other like family. We might dream up some new ways to serve our city together or to be on mission to advance the kingdom of God, find ways to welcome people in through adoption or foster care, literally into our homes. And we want to be a church treating each other like members of a big extended Family. And so I'm going to close with just one final reminder here uh, of what that community looks like, what it's centered around from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, if you know anything with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was part of the resistance movement in Germany during the Nazi occupation. Uh, he lived in this really tight community of seminary students in the resistance, um, really battling Hitler, but living life together in a deep and powerful way. And he wrote this classic book, Life Together, about his experience living under Nazi, Nazi occupation in this underground resistance seminary. And this is what he said here. <laughs> One of the quotes from this. I wish I could give you the whole book, but I'm going to stop because my time is over. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done for both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. 
The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else begin or everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we not only have one another wholly and for all eternity. That dismisses once and for all every clamorous desire for something more. So instead of clamoring for that something more, we want to be in church increasingly recognizing all we have in Christ and that we have each other wholly, only, in and through Christ. Let's pray that God might be doing that more and more here at our church. So Father, we thank you for uh, this beautiful vision of community and family. Uh, I thank you, God, for the ways that I've experienced that community and family here at Redemption City Church over the last 10 years and how beautiful it's been to be part of a family that would walk with me through challenging seasons, through the joys and the celebrations uh, that have happened. God, I've, I've just been blessed, and I want every person in this room, in this space, to experience that same uh, beauty of family, the formative nature of family. And so I uh, pray for each person here, uh, for our new members, particularly as they step into this, for our members that have been here for a long time, uh, continue to live into this, and for people that are new here today that are thinking, boy, should I really try and get back into community again? I pray this might be maybe just the nudge that they need to take that step into this beautiful, informative, wonderful, radical, difficult, challenging, <laughs> encouraging work of being a family together. And so, yeah, commit each person to that work and all in Jesus' name. Amen.